Shut up and sit down. Everybody, um, I'd like to welcome new members. We have had a whole bunch of new members this week um, for the writers' table, so welcome. I hope you find things um, interesting and um, uh, helpful, both on the podcast and in the group. Uh, I was eating popcorn before the podcast started, and I got a kernel stuck in my teeth. It's driving me freaking crazy. Anyways, <clears throat> that's what I get for buying that cheap ass popcorn. Because I prefer the wholeless popcorn, but I didn't want to pay the wholeless popcorn price. And now I'm paying a different kind of price. <sighs> I thank you for getting an ad. I appreciate that. Ad, um, ad revenue pays the way here. <laughs> I appreciate all those of you who listen to the podcast um, and um, – Pay the way. I really sincerely appreciate it. Okay, we're going to get started. Last night I talked about Harry Potter um, and the fandom and some MCU and the Sentinel, and we're going to continue that conversation tonight. Um, we really didn't do a lot of actual plot drifting last night about it. Um, yeah, hullless popcorn, you can get it. Um, it's softer, and it doesn't have well, the hull, so it doesn't get uh, crappy stuff in your teeth. Um, but they're but they're but it's a gourmet popcorn and um, they cost about twelve dollars for a pound and uh, yeah I uh, I really like it I especially like um, the baby pearl popcorn oh my god it is so good it is on Amazon, but the Crown Jewel is better. You're absolutely right, Jilly. It is fantastic. And the Baby Pearl Crown Jewel is amazing. And I like the California, or the, the gold, something gold, the West Gold, um, West the Gold, anyway. <laughs> Look up Crown Jewel. Um, Southwest Gold, thank you. Blue, the, but I really prefer the Southwest Gold personally, and I love the, the baby pearl like practically melts in your mouth. But we're not here to talk about gourmet popcorn as much as I am a um, popcorn connoisseur. And uh, but I had gotten some Smart Pop in the bag as pre-popped because uh, I didn't feel like making my own popcorn. And I didn't feel like ordering my own popcorn, but now I regret my life choices because popcorn's important, right, Jilly? There's no time for shitty popcorn. Um, I don't know what you were thinking. There, yeah, there. Yeah. I know. I don't know what I was thinking. But I do prefer the okay, baby the, pearl. The, I will say that the the brand that Lady Holder sh- uh, shared, I that I go we 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 got that. I still like the Crown Jewels better, um, but um, their blue is nice, a little tough, but I like the flavor. But they have a, a good Southwest Gold too, which is the red and gold kernels mix. It's kind of an heirloom corn. Yeah. And then we're done with popcorn. Now. I love a South I love a Southwest Gold. But Crown Jewel 
it's you better, can't get any better than that. Yeah, I mean, but it I is like I, we do a we do a big order. Um, otherwise, it's not worth worth it. But so if I yeah. like, want something specific and quick, I get it from Amazon. But they, they, Amazon doesn't carry Crown Jewel, so you have to make do with the other so, brands. What we did when we first encountered Crown Jewel is that we got a sampler pack. So we tried a whole bunch of different ones, and they gave us half pound bags or quarter pound bags of each one. Um, and we found the ones that we liked. And then when we reorder, we only order what we like. But the samples, we tried a whole bunch of different ones. And they were all great. None of them were bad. No, I haven't had a bad baby popcorn either. Um, I just, I think that the blue popcorn has a very um, robust taste compared to a plain white or yellow popcorn. It, it's a lot stronger flavored. It's kind of it's kind of this whitish gray color when it pops. It's weird that blue turns into this very yeah. white that's bordering bordering on gray. Um, so it's it's the one that's the most different from any others. The most tender is the baby pearl. Um, it almost melts in your mouth. It practically melts in your mouth. Yeah, you get some a really nice sunflower oil on that, and it's like nirvana in it, uh, in your bowl. A little sea salt and some sun and some. Sunflower oil, dude. We pop an avocado so oil good. because I I don't I don't like the health issues surrounding any kind of like vegetable or seed oil, but uh, I have never noticed yeah. a problem with popping it in avocado oil. But I would say that Hollis popcorn is too delicate for a really heavy fat like butter. And if you're gonna do butter, you need to um, what's that term? When you take off all the bearing, water? oh, you what, where you make almost make like a ghee, yeah, yeah. You will, I, I, you want to make a ghee because the 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 hollow popcorn is so delicate it will melt under a hot butter that has water in it. Yeah, you have to let the butter sit for a little bit, like not quite firming back up, but you can't take it like straight from the pan. It does kind of like deflate. Um, I, I think the Polish popcorn is a little too delicate for bacon fat, but you could try it. I wouldn't go with any hot fat. It needs to be a room temperature fat because it will melt. And it is so disappointing. And it's expensive, so you don't want to melt your really expensive popcorn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in a pinch, I do find that Smart Pop isn't a bad choice to make in the grocery store. Except they have stuck in your teeth. In your teeth, they have a really nice white cheddar. It's really good, um, and the calories aren't terrible. So, um, but and also Starbucks has a really nice bagged popcorn, but it's expensive. It's nice. It doesn't get stuck in your teeth. It could be Hollis. It's nice, but it's expensive. So, anyways. But I don't actually um, eat microwave popcorn. I haven't had – yeah, clarify your butter. Thank you, Denise. I haven't had a bag of microwave popcorn in probably 15 years. I'd have to be really <laughs> desperate, really desperate to um... – I do have two different air hops. I do have two air poppers. One is the traditional that, you know, is like combat, and the other one is one that – kind of like pops it up like a movie theater does with a little dome. It's really cool. I got it at Walmart. Um, but 
Yeah. You definitely want to clarify your butter. But yeah, I mean, even my dog's a popcorn snob. My mom tried to give my little dog, Jack, a um, some of her microwave popcorn, and he put it in his mouth. And he got this look on his face like he couldn't believe what was in his mouth, and he dropped it. And this dog will eat anything. And my mom was like, look at your ridiculous, snotty little dog. <laughs> I said, you gave him microwave popcorn. He's never had microwave popcorn. He just ruined his life, or at least his day. He was so excited. <laughs> then not. <sighs> well, somebody somebody created a meme that there, thou shalt not eat shitty popcorn. Yes, this is a life rule. No shitty popcorn. I do have the, the pan spinny thing that you put oil in. I don't like it. I prefer. Oh, I a, love that thing. I, I, I would send you mine. Um, I have. A, I have a, one. A, a hot air popper. Um, it, well, if yours ever breaks, let me know. I will dig mine out of storage and send it to you. Um, I have a hot air popper. Um, but I prefer. Um, but I would cook it on a stove before I'd use that electric spin thing again. Oh, I hate it. Electric spin. I use the one that Kaya, oh, not sorry, somebody linked there from Bed Bath and Beyond, the Whirly Pop. That's what I. Oh. That's what I oh. Use. Okay. No, that's not what I'm talking. That's what about. I have. Well, I would actually no, I use one of those. Yeah. Yeah, I use the Whirly Pop. That's the metal one with the you spin the handle. It only takes like it really is about three minutes of standing there moving the handle. But it makes great popcorn. I don't really like hot air popcorn. I like it popped in some kind of oil. So that's why I use the Whirly Pop. Okay, popcorn. We had an ode to popcorn at the front of the podcast. This is the one I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, Harry Potter. <clears throat> something like that. It's not that model in particular, but it's something like that. I hate it. I don't know where I got it from. Maybe it was a gift. Anyways, eh. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that is that, that's it's similar similar mechanics to the whirly pop, but I don't know. I mean, it just seems like it'd be. Eh. But I prefer a hot air pop. So, but anyways, don't eat shitty popcorn. That that's the takeaway here. An important takeaway. There's, no, there's there's just not enough time in life to waste it with shitty popcorn. Someone asked earlier in the chat room if I would grow my pop. No. Um, I, I grew up on a farm. Um, while corn is a low-maintenance crop, I do not have the patience to grow my own popcorn. That is a level of country that I have never aspired to. Like, I'm country, but I'm not that country. I ate a lot of microwave popcorn in school, too. That's why I think I hate it now. Sometimes it was practically a meal because you're on the go, you know, and got class. And Also, there's massive amounts of crap in microwave popcorn. 
Yeah, I hate the way it smells. Even the one that's supposed to be natural. Isn't. Because there's crap in it. Okay. Should we go on to Sentinel Madness? Yes. Um, last night we talked about different times when Harry Potter uh, could come online as a Sentinel. Um, providing he makes it all the way to Hogwarts without coming online as a Sentinel. What are the moments for you that stand out in canon that if he was latent, that he would come online? Where is that moment you go, okay, there's no way he doesn't come online there, the trolls? Well, I mean, I think if you go through them successively where you have opportunities, um, I think the troll is one. Um, because especially if he has an affinity for, her, let's say Hermione's his guide specifically, um, if he has an affinity for her and she's in danger, I think that could be an opportunity. Um, out in the woods, when the, he first encounters Voldemort, out in the woods with the unicorns and stuff, um, when he's feeding on the unicorn. Yeah, just being stuck out there by himself. I mean, I would think that would be a sensory issue, right? You're out in the woods, it's dark, he's separated. Um, there's this this threat that he's been informed about. Um, he sees that kind of wraith-like thing. Um, I think that could be a high-stress moment for a latent sentinel. And you're dealing with sensory issues and separated from his only protection. I don't think he would make it to second year without coming online. I, there are too many instances um, where he where he has put at mortal risk in his first year that if he's latent, he comes online. Yeah, if you want, if you if if he doesn't come online in the first year, I think that you would have to um, have some kind of block on his abilities that that maybe the the basilisk venom or something. Something the Phoenix tears from the Basilisk Venom could break it down or something. That'd be something to to keep him from coming online because there's just so many things. Um and maybe that's something that you you know, you just can't I mean that would probably be in my world building is that you know, they don't maybe like like in the muggle world they're sensitive to to latent sentinels because they don't want them coming online as children. So they try to reduce sensory stress on them and um, you know, there might be things that are really taboo in in the muggle world um, that you wouldn't do, you know, that you don't do because they don't want to put kids in situations of being under so much stress that they come online prematurely. But Harry right. is put into that kind of stress all the time. Um, somebody asked a question above, above about, um, like, spirit animals tearing into, like, the Dursleys if Harry came on line young. I tend to write, this is just the way I write it, but, I mean, I'm not saying I would always write it this way, but I tend to write spirit animals as inflicting psionic wounds, not physical wounds. Um, in one story, I wrote that it can cause, um, it can cause, have an effect on people who are, it does cause an effect, people who are, have psionic injuries. It can cause mood swings, um, depression, 
um, unstable temperament, that kind of thing. It can even temporarily knock them out, um, make them feel panicked. But I don't typically write spirit animals as inflicting physical wounds. I've read stories where they can manifest that physically. Um, and, and and enjoyed them, so I wouldn't rule it out. But it it wouldn't it's not my go to with spirit animals, because I think if it was, I think one of the reasons one of the reasons why I haven't is because I think if spirit animals could be a physical danger, I think people would be more panicked about them. It the idea of like tigers walking around that could physically maul you would put people into a panic. Yes, it was imperfect that, that there was the discussion about the effect of psionic wounds. That's an interesting idea. Someone pointed out in the chat room um, that Harry might not come online um, because of the um, Horcrux that it prevents him from coming online. Um, if that's the case, then you could have the basilisk villain, venom kill the Horcrux. If you Which want him Horcrux to come online young? Existed, um, during the second year when she wrote the, the, that book, it would have. <laughs> I mean, that's always been an immense plot for me. How come the fucking... Basilisk Venom has no problem killing a Horcrux unless it's in Harry Potter. Right, yeah. Plot hole. Are we surprised? <laughs> no. No. The worst part is, is I always assume she was a pantser, but apparently she's not. Don't disillusion me. I can't deal. I'm just saying. Apparently she has a big old giant... Excel database of all her plotting for Harry Potter. Is that what she calls it? That's what she calls it. (laughs) Yeah. Was that too snarky? Nah. Nah, dog. Exactly, Jace. Exactly. Um, but what I would say is that sometimes there are some writers, no matter how much they plot, they don't always follow through the ramifications of small decisions. Truly. Well, but we because see it all the time. It's not authors contradict themselves. There is, we've talked about some other craft-based podcasts, that people are so focused on one thing. Either it's what they want to happen or on a character's particular internal motivation or whatever, that they get, they they have blinders on. They do not see. Um, Like, J.K. Rowling was clearly so focused on Harry and the adventure she wanted him to have that she was oblivious to the fact that she made all the adults in, in, in the magical world complete monsters. Um, especially so, Dumbledore. Especially Dumbledore. Um, but it, it, she's not unique in that blinders thing. A lot of authors have these kind of blinders. Um, now, to be fair, editors and publishers are supposed to help you with that shit. One thing that 
has always bothered me about the whole Horcrux thing. There's the implication that you're capable of any sort of function with half your soul. So, okay, so if the diary was his first Horcrux, then that was literally half his soul. By the time Harry faces Voldemort at the end, the sliver of soul left is so tiny. How was he capable of functioning? 90% of his soul was dead. It makes the human soul seem practically like its only purpose is a physical tether to the body. And if you believe in the human soul, and I'm not sure if I do, but if you do, that's kind of heinous. (laughs) That it literally serves no other purpose. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, it's not clear. Did she specifically say in the books that he's breaking off a half of his soul every time? Yeah. I heard a horror so she said half. Break your soul in half. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, because I assumed it was, I mean, I assumed in order for him to be functioning with the teeny tiny sliver of soul he's got left, that we'd be talking about, um, that he he had that it was a piece like you're taking off a piece of it. Um, I didn't realize that it actually explicitly stated in canon that it was half, because um, that would be, yeah. I'm gonna read the article while you're talking. Okay, hold on. Am I talking? I'm not talking. I have nothing to say. Okay. <laughs> um, that's from Bustle. That's not gonna help me. If the if the soul regenerates, then he could make endless an endless number of Horcruxes. Okay, so if I got this right, if it really is breaking it in half every time, after the seventh, he'd have had less than one percent of his soul left. It says, a horcrux is a word used for an object in which a person has concealed part of their soul. Well, you split your soul, you see, and you hide part of it in an object outside of the body. Then if one's body is attacked or destroyed, one cannot die, for part of the soul remains earthbound and undamaged. Well, the piece Harry would have had, Harry was the... Which number was he? Five? Yes, because the genie was six. The diary, the cup, the diary, the locket, the cup, the locket, diary, cup, locket, the genie, Harry, what am I forgetting? The resurrection stone. And Voldemort himself. The the diary, the cup, the stone, 
Okay, so Harry would have about and the locket three and a half all three. came before Harry, then Harry, and then the genie. Okay, so Harry would have had about three, a little over three percent. Okay, the diadem. I forgot the diadem. There were yes, seven work records, and then the the diadem, the ring, or the stone, the resurrection stone. So Harry would have had. Um, Harry was Horcrux number six then, and Harry would have had one and a half percent of Voldemort's soul. And then the genie had a part, and then what was left of that was in Voldemort. So when they start killing the Horcruxes, how is Voldemort still functional at the end? That that just always bothered me. It it says something really um, terrible about what the human soul is in the magical world. Well, he he was functional, but it, he wasn't he didn't even make sense, right? I mean, I think that I think that the 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 Fanon, at least that he was completely insane it has a lot of merit, right? Because right. Um he didn't make sense. Why would he focus so much energy on capturing a school? Other than, because I mean, other than the fact that that is leverage, they're hostages, very good hostages. But that's not really what he was doing. Of course, it didn't ever really make sense that school was in session when Voldemort running around. But whatever. Um, I mean, if Voldemort's return was was clear and it was clear he was after Hogwarts, the last thing I would do is put my kids on the train to go to school. The, the ministry made it a law. Move out of the country. You're magical. I mean, right. clearly they can make a house right. out of everything. Fall ass, right? You go, go, go take your ass to, to Germany or something and go to a KOA campground and put your magical tent up and just hang out. It's very, um, I find it's very difficult. Now, I, I think I could do it in like a very short story or in like, I don't really do drabbles, but we'll call it a very short story. Um, it's something very short. I could do the Sentinel thing with Harry Potter, but I find the world so problematic to try to incorporate Sentinels in. that it's. I mean, it's like it's one of those things that just from a writer perspective, it's like difficult to plot something like that. Because unless there just aren't any sentinels, it's very difficult to reconcile. Um, it's like the, it's like the sentinel world building is a is a head on collision with um, the Harry Potter canon plot holes. It's like, what do I do with this? <laughs> and I'm that writer who's going to try to solve that, and, and and then that that's words, right? That's a lot of words. <laughs> that's a lot so. of words. <laughs> You're 300k in, and Harry hasn't even gotten to Hogwarts yet, right? So, yeah, I don't know. It's difficult. That's an interesting thought that him getting his wand started him on the path to um, coming online. <clears throat> okay, here, listen to this. To create a Horcrux is to divide one's soul, the essence of self. And it is therefore in creation of a Horcrux that one falls prey to 
Albert Wappling's first fundamental laws of magic, which essentially states that tampering with one's soul inevitably results in grave side effects. Creating horcruxes is considered perhaps the most dreadful act possible because it causes dehumanization. One of the side effects is dehumanization affecting the mutilation of one's soul is said to have, both emotionally and physically. So if it's being divided in half, if you're constantly dividing, um, I meant to click on the link for where I was doing my little quick calculations and instead I opened Photoshop. Close that out. So yeah, he's got he's got less than a percent of his soul. He's got a sliver sliver left when he. The um, third side effect is that the master soul itself becomes unstable, even with creating just one horcrux. The precise danger of this spiritual destabilization is not currently detailed explicitly throughout the franchise. So that's the theory of how uh, Harry himself became a Horcrux, because when the curse rebound, his soul was already so fragile from the other Horcruxes he created that um, he split his soul by accident outside of the ritual that's supposed to take place. The fragment went into Harry, and the rest of his mutilated soul fled, is what the site says. However, this parasitic fragment of Voldemort's soul that attached to Harry did not make him a true Horcrux, since it was not created intentionally and the necessary parts of the Horcrux creation process were not carried out. That's on, that's on the Harry Potter wiki. That sounds like somebody's theory, which is probably true. Yeah. Um, like a pseudo If that was on... If if I were reading that on Pottermore, I would probably go, okay. But um, I think that that's kind of trying to – people try to find ways to explain inconsistencies in the world building, um, which is fine. We all do it. When Harry didn't – Harry's Horcrux didn't um, – wait. Actually, that comes from J.K. Rowling um, on her podcast called Pottercast. That's wow. that's information from J.K. Rowling. That Harry was a pseudo. Um, here's a transcript of the podcast. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's there's 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 a big problem with the world building with Sentinels and Guides and. Um, we talked about the idea. We did talk about the idea last night a little bit about the idea of um, sentinels and guides being squibs. That it's, um, I would probably have them be thought of as squibs, but that it's just how their magic manifests. But then you have the contradiction of well, then how is Harry a um, magical and a sentinel? Um, My working theory on that is that most sentinels and guides. The vast majority, 99.9% of Sentinels and Guides, are considered squibs because their magic is so invested in their abilities as Sentinel and Guide. But Harry isn't average. He was born 
with the power to be Voldemort's equal. So he has magic to burn. So much magic that when he comes online as a sentinel, he's still able to use a wand. Yeah, Voldemort definitely mm. needs some self-care tips. He wasn't very kind to himself. I mean, you can say that the Lord of Magic set Harry Potter down to to interfere with Voldemort's path and to make to end that situation, and that's where the prophecy comes from. So that you know, he was given enough magic to be both. Or that Sentinels and Guides are squibs because they're tested as children before they ever get a chance to bond. And once Sentinels and Guides bond, their magic calms down and they could use wands, but they don't know it. Or maybe they suspect, they could suspect, but it's just they're not invested in going back to the magical world. Maybe right. the, the Sentinels and Guides don't, they know about the magical world. They kind of protect the secret of it, but they don't think much of it. They're like, oh, they're kind of backwards. But you know what's interesting about Sentinels? Um, when the Sentinel concept first came out, um, technology wasn't advanced, as advanced. So Jim's senses were actually really attractive. But if you look at modern technology that we have today, with satellites that can take a picture of you in your fucking backyard and listening devices that can penetrate um, walls. Um, the gifts of a sentinel can be replicated with technology today. They have bomb-sniffing robots who can literally smell explosives. True. So sentinels today in the modern environment aren't as attractive as they were even 15 years ago. That idea that the idea that I had about um, Sentinels and Guides kind of died out because they weren't treated well. Now that Mm -hmm. might work applied to the Harry Potter fandom, which is that everybody is waiting for Sentinels and Guides to come back, but they don't. And it could be something that happens at Hogwarts once a year where the spirit guides show up and see if they're going to pick anybody um, as opposed to going to them, you know, they just turn up at Hogwarts because maybe Hogwarts is one of those um, places that's um, very connected to the spirit plane. And every year as part of the, some part of the year they turn up and every year they leave and that's that. Um, and so you could kind of, it, it's, it would solve some of the world building issues if there aren't, if because Sentinels and Guides reemerging, just popping up, is a problematic issue if they aren't already known and desired because people would freak out and there would be a lot of killings and it would be hard to write around that. Um, I ran into that with writing um, intuitive, which is the reality of how the world would react to psychics was just, 
it got so ugly that even though I was trying to make it prettier than I thought it actually would be, it started getting me depressed. Because I do think it, people would react very badly at first. And so that becomes a monumental world-building task. But if people are desirous of Sentinels and Guides coming back, if, if it was something that happened in the past, and there's almost a reverence around it, you solve a lot of the ugliness of that world-building. And then you could have the entire world is without Sentinels and Guides. Um, until that moment when somebody is chosen to be the first to come back. And that could be, if you did apply that to the Harry Potter, that would be um, Harry, of course. Come on, come to almost any fandom and pick your favorite, you know, pick your unicorn. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apply it to your unicorn and go forth and... <laughs> Go forth and remake the world. <laughs> it would be interesting if all the if if the Knights of the Round Table were actually Sentinels. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, but uh, I I do agree that there are some in, some in, inherent problems with um, a large population of sentinels and guides in the magical world. And the only way it makes sense is if the populations are so advanced that they have um, protective treaties in place. Um, but that makes the circumstances of Harry growing up with the Dursleys in a terrible situation vastly unlikely. Um, he would have to grow up. They don't have to love him, but they would have to treat him with all the care required, or they would both go to jail. Yeah, which you could do. You could write Harry having a a, a, a better experience with the Dursleys than he had. Um, maybe he wasn't loved, but at least he wouldn't have been miserable and underfed. And you know, you you could definitely do that. Um, it depends upon how attached somebody is to Harry having that shitty childhood for their storyline. Um, it can be. I think sometimes people feel that assessing the ripples of making a major change like that is a daunting task. Um, I think it's just one of those things you just kind of work through it logically in progression. You know, you just, the thing is, is what, what's critical about Harry having a better childhood in any fashion where adults aren't his enemy, even if they aren't loving his school teachers are not disbelieving of him. The Dursleys don't treat him poorly. It's when you put him in a position where he has more fundamental trust in adults, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't happen in canon. It can't. It doesn't make sense for Harry to do some of the things he did if he fundamentally believes that adults act like adults. Um, and that's one of, the, one of the problems I've seen a lot of times in stories where Harry has a better childhood or is raised love and support or whatever raised by Sirius is he still gets into the same stuff and it doesn't make sense. Why would he go through some of those same adventures if he had an adult he could count on or if he believed that adults were fundamentally trustworthy? I guess it depends on his personality. If he's precocious and very curious and prone to disobedience. <laughs> if he's a little spoiled rotten, 
he goes to Hogwarts on my third floor. He may beat the Weasley twins to the third floor. <laughs> well, true, but are you going to write that Harry as a sentinel? No, no. <laughs> I'm just saying that there are circumstances where Harry could grow up with a great life and still end up in the, with. But here's the question. Even if he did still end up in that room with that three-headed dog because he was letting Ron fuck around and go on a duel, um, anybody would Does care he really? if he loved them, which is why I don't understand why Ron didn't call his mom or, like, write him on a letter. Um would point out to their parents that the headmaster is keeping a hellhound in the, in the school. So why right. didn't Dumbledore get a howler from Molly Weasley? I just, I, I it was, the thing is, once the Weasley twins knew it was up on that floor, every kid in the school fundamentally knew. And why didn't Amelia right. Jones know? How come none of those kids told their parents? How come none of those kids told their parents that there was a troll in the school? Because right? if I were a parent, if I were Amelia Bones, I'd be sitting there going, what is wrong with the wards that a troll got in? Because if any dangerous magical creature can just walk up to the front doors of Hogwarts and walk in, that's a problem that a parent would care about. Except apparently none of the adults in, apparently the kids are all uncommunicative and none of the adults are particularly concerned about the dangers at Hogwarts. Magical brainwashing. Honestly, um, sometimes you see authors doing things where Dumbledore is preventing um, mail that doesn't work in his favor from leaving the the castle. I totally believe that that's possible. That doesn't explain how the kids don't go home for Christmas and come back with their parents going, where the you got a fucking hellhound in the school? Seriously? No. Yeah, and then what do you mean there's something eating unicorns in the forest? I mean, there's so many things that happen that these kids don't communicate to their parents. And we're not just talking um, the kids who weren't there. Why didn't Draco inform his father? There's no way Lucius Malfoy would have been okay with what happened to Draco in the forest that night. You took my son out into the forest looking for the thing that is eating unicorns? Really? That was basically what With the one adult. With the one adult at the whole fucking school who couldn't use magic. Okay. I mean, think about it. Hagrid knew that there was something in the in the in the forest eating, just killing and eating, killing unicorns and drinking their blood. He knew that, right? And yet he takes those kids out there at night. Something that is so corrupt that it would kill a unicorn and drink its blood, and you're going to take eleven year olds out there at night, really, into the forest that's forbidden. It's its fucking name. It just it doesn't make sense that Lucius Malfoy was okay with that. And there's no way Draco did Not at all. Yeah, because his father heard about all his shit. (laughs) Yeah. I'm telling my father. That's practically, that Draco's, like, tagline is, wait till my father hears about this. (laughs) Harry, Draco Malfoy. (laughs) And the year his father heard about. (laughs) Yeah. Part one That's through seven. Book. Yeah. <laughs> there is a whole list of them, actually. One of them is like uh, Draco Malfoy and Hagrid's stupid chicken. 
<laughs> How did they end up having all those traps in that school without the Board of Governors knowing about it? What did the Board of Governors actually do? Apparently nothing. Apparently nothing, right? I love the concept of sentinels and guides outside of the magical world. I think that if I wrote a big Harry Potter AU, that sentinels and guides would be magical and that they're all magical. Um, and it's just um, a magical trait, like being a metamorphic. What talks is? <laughs> yeah. It's just one of their, it's, it's just a magical trait. Enhanced senses, um, empathy, um, shape shifting, etc. I think that actually is really the only way I could write a big one because the small stories, if I get too, it, I get fucked up because there's too much that there's too much work to do if there are Muggle sentinels and guides. Yeah, and it, I, it, it and is I difficult. Kind of glance over it in flight, um, and in I'll be glancing over it in gravity if I ever go back to do a sequel because it's too much to put in that short story format. And I've only done short story format for um, Harry Potter and Sentinel because otherwise I'll spend three hundred k making it work. <laughs> it won't even look like Harry Potter when I get done, or the Sentinel. <laughs> Yeah, who did pay for that big giant chess set? Well, I imagine it's transfigured, right? But that means it was transfigured all year long. That's pretty impressive. Unless you had to go down there periodically and redo it. Because it's that's transfigured and enchanted. I mean, if you want a really, if you really enjoy doing world building and reconciling those kinds of things, a Harry Potter Sentinel AU um, is an opportunity to do some really extensive world building because you would have to. You'd have to basically rewrite magical history, not necessarily share it, but for yourself and for your world building. It's not something, it would be, I, I don't know that I would advocate that for somebody who pants, but you could try. Because um, I think you really have to get your world building and make sure you're really clear on your concepts before you you execute. Although I do know panthers who who do world building separate from plotting, and if you if you can world build separate from your plotting and then pants your way to the story, go for it. But I just don't see how you can keep it logically consistent and not nail down your world building. Um, I just I just don't think you can pants your way through that kind of world building. It's too there's too many plot holes and and things to to deal with there. Sometimes I look at concepts and I think, you know, I can pants that. Um, and then there are some, some things I look at and think, nah, dog. <laughs> I'm going to need six months and um, the big table in the library. 
I'm going to need some paper. I need to draw some maps. It, you know, it's, I might need to create a language. There's going to be rituals. And um, so, so get back to me next year. <laughs> I got shit to do. Yeah, it's a, it's a big it's a big writing task. Um, every time I get into a Harry Potter um, AU of any kind, I it's big. And I for me because I already know that without Sentinel that they're big. Um, I think Sentinel would be a half a million words for me. A Harry Potter Sentinel AU would be like a half a million words. Especially if you left Muggle Sentinels in. Yes, I mean the only way you couldn't. It would be if 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 sentinels and gods are magical. Period. It's just yeah, a magical it'd be, trait. It'd be like half. Um, it has to be either there's none. That idea of there's none, and Harry is the 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 sort of the herald that's bringing them back, or that Harry's um, like whoever Harry's going to be with. His, his, if, if I make Harry the guide, whoever his sentinel is is the, the person. But whatever. Um, if that that would be it would either be that idea or that they're all magical. It would have to be one or the other because there's it's so difficult to reconcile, and it's not just Harry's childhood that's the problem reconciling. It's the magical world in general, and the way they behave, and and it, that's very difficult to reconcile with a with an AU where Sentinels and Guides are Muggles. So. So you mentioned um, Harry getting into stuff that he's raised by Sherlock. Isn't there a story, I'm pretty sure it exists, because I don't think I made this up, um, where Harry figures out that his mother was a Holmes or something, and he goes looking for his relatives? He yeah, winds I believe up being it's called Harry Watson. Maybe Harry that's Watson. it. Harry Potter Baker Street or something is for some reason that's what's coming to my head, but I mean it would be the name. That could have just been the way I, I thought of it. Um yeah, I agree. I mean, I've, are there, there are there two, though. So, so. There's probably several stories where Harry is raised by Sherlock. I can't believe that, that there's only one. But the one I specifically remember is, you know, the one where Harry goes looking for Sherlock and John. Um, it's like it's not an accident that Harry figures out he's a Holmes and he does a bunch of research and goes and finds them. It might be um, Red Turtle's story. That might be what I'm thinking of. Your nickname's kind of freaking me out. Yeah, the steamed Red Turtle. Little, I steamed Red Turtle. Mm. I don't. I'm thinking that perhaps that's maybe an angry turtle as opposed to like turtle soup. But I could be A wrong. Cooked turtle. Yeah. 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 I could be wrong. But I was watching um, somebody cook on, um, oh, she's baking. Oh, so you're hot. Okay. I get it. I get it. Uh, I was watching someone make a cake on YouTube before the podcast started. You're watching what on YouTube? A flower. I was watching somebody make a flourless chocolate cake on YouTube. It looks so uh, good. I had a, we had a flourless chocolate tour yesterday. I didn't make it. I bought it. It was insane. Um 
I think mixing Supernatural or Teen Wolf with Harry Potter uh, can also have some, you know, there's not as many plot obstacles as you get with something like the Sentinel or mixing um, the Supernatural verse with uh, a modern law enforcement makes no sense. Um, uh, It's just really difficult to reconcile that, but... um, I have a real time. I have a hard time mixing Harry Potter and Teen Wolf because of the difference in the werewolf mythology. Um, I think that. Um, I mean, I would just tweak one one werewolf mythology or the other to match. You know, I would make just pick what I wanted. Well, Teen I, Harry Wolf Potter has the more attractive werewolf anthology. Obviously, yes, because Harry, Harry Potter's so. werewolf mythology is. But ugly. Monsters. And it's poorly thought it's out. Mon- Sorry, Joanne. I mean, you could even do a thing where, where you know, when, when Remus leaves the magical world, he finds out that werewolves have a much better time of it in the muggle world. Um, and that it might even be... Um, being, you know, that, that the type of werewolves they have in the magical world are operating under a curse or something that somebody casts on them, and that that's why their transformations are so painful. I think there's ways you could reconcile them, or you could just hand wave it and say, Teen Wolf, Teen Wolf canon Trump, or you know, Harry, Harry Potter canon. I have a little bunny. I'm not going to ride it, but whoever would like to take this is welcome to. What if the bite of an alpha? Teen wolf kind of wolf was the cure for the kind of wolf Lupin is in Harry Potter. Yeah, what if when like a magical that. person gets bitten by a beta wolf, they turn into the kind of werewolf that that Remus is in the magical world? But if they were bitten and taken into a pack by an alpha wolf, the trans it would be a complete transformation. Like they're like they're in a half transformed state. Like their magic it all does the way. something. Yeah, the beta bite does because something the, with their magic. Mm, I like that. Exactly. Exactly. And then when they meet a real uh, an alpha wolf, they can that the, the the bite of an alpha wolf can complete that transformation and they stop being cursed. Or the alpha has enough power to to um, make their magic submit. And whoever wants to write that can have that. I don't care. Because <laughs> I don't have any interest in... Truer words have never been spoken. Um, I don't have any interest in um, in writing that. So, yeah. I had something not quite like that because I wasn't trying to reconcile Teen Wolf mythology. But I had something similar in a Harry Potter story that I planned for, like, in the future of one, where the cure was that they weren't true lichens, um, that the werewolves in the magical world were like an abomination, and that true lichens wanted nothing to do with what was going on in the magical world, and that there sort of needed to be like a like a treaty or a treat it, you know, so they needed to treat with the lichens. To get um, their 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 issues with their with the you know the issues the the twisted form of lichen therapy that they had, 
but it's a little bit cleaner. It, that, that was like creating like double world building because I had to do all this world building around these lichens. But it's actually cleaner to just, you know, use Teen Wolf Werewolf. <laughs> yeah. If you wanted to play with that, um, you could have Styles, who's a spark, which means he's probably magical if you're going to make Harry Potter and um, uh, Teen Wolf together. Mm-hmm. What if a magical werewolf bit Styles, um, and he comes and he comes home to Derek for help? And Derek recognizes what's going on with him, or Peter does, and says, this is what you have to do, Derek, to fix his problem. Like, it's in their beastery or whatever. And then Styles is able to spread that cure to other magical werewolves who have been um, exposed to this beta magic combination that is, Curse them into a half transformed state, hmm. and maybe that's what um, maybe that spark thing that they talk about in Teen Wolf is wizarding magic, and they think yeah. it's really rare, rare because most of the quote unquote sparks leave for the magical world, and the other types of magic like druids and witches and stuff, they don't rank in the wizarding world scale because the magic is all basically outside of themselves. They're using ritual to at ritual and magical elements to create magic as opposed to the magic being within them. Well, like I said, I have no interest in writing that, so do with it what you will. (laughs) But it would be interesting. It would be really interesting. And you could have it that Styles didn't go to magical school because um, when he was invited... Um, that was just after his mom died, and he didn't want to leave his dad. So yeah. he said no. It's a pretty common trope in Teen Wolf that Styles' ADHD meds um, fucked with his spark. Um, or yeah, that his magic. It. Yeah, that his magic was starting to um, manifest, and that's what looked like ADHD to people, and so they started medicating him, and that, that would have suppressed his magic to a degree. So if he used that kind of trope, he might not know. Um, but it was like, you know, too much magic. But eventually the thing is that would break through. It's like the, it, it, his magic would still be there, but it would just, the, the med. And it could be you could even have a thing where, like, there's a de- big decline in um, magical children in, in the UK, I mean, not in the UK, in America, and they do some investigation and they figure out that it's these medications causing it. That it's not truly a decline, it's just like masking their magic. I don't see correspondence school for magical training being a particularly viable option. I see a lot of kids blowing up no. their house. Yeah. Now, there will have to be a whole department dedicated to just going out of people's houses, cleaning up the kids' messes. Kids who actually transfigure their parents or, you know, the house, the whole house. Or do it on purpose. Yeah, you wouldn't be hiding things from muggles very well if kids were being trained at home. Especially muggle-borns. So... 
I think that if I wrote a big Harry Potter AU, I would make um, Sentinels of Guides um, probably believed to be extinct, like I did in Gravity. Um, in, in Gravity, um, Harry and Hermione um, petitioned the Lord of Magic to be given gifts to aid them in the war. And um, it was a it was a ritual that his parents were going to do, but didn't get a chance to because Pettigrew betrayed them. Um, and Harry petitioned there and asked to be made a sentinel that his guardian on Earth, and that that the pathway or the doorway between the real world and the psionic plane had been closed since World War II because of all the death. That just it was just too much. It was too much um, trauma. We don't believe how many people died during World War II. The, the, the graphics are overwhelmingly terrible. But, um, and so um, all that trauma closed the door between the sonic plane and Earth, and there are no sentinels and guides. And that's how gravity um, is in the background, and that Harry petitions and opens the door. And what he doesn't know is that slowly around the world, sentinels are emerging. Not in huge numbers, but here and there, where they're needed most. Like he's needed where he is in Britain. There are situations around the world where sentinels are coming online in response to the needs of their personal tribes. So kind of like when Jim came online in the original canon because his territory needed him. But it's not huge if numbers. If, so, if they've known, but if they've been known before and they were right. an integral part of society for a long time, you solved that issue with people going, oh, my God, we need to put you in a lab and test you. No, maybe not right. completely, but a lot of it. But I envision actually in in the gravity verse that eventually, because of the because uh, because of what Harry has done, um, Harry and Hermione did in that in that ritual that the magical world will be um, revealed because they opened the door and there are sentinels and guides coming online. And how that happened is is going to become known. Yeah, because I, they're I all interacting do. with spirit animals. So, I think the the the, the easiest way to do a um, I don't know what you have planned, but the easiest way to do a um, magical reveal is to have magic be really needed, um, and there's no way for muggles to exploit it. Like you know, talking. Like the outside, like a, here's a crazy example. Like you need magical to fight off an alien invasion. Oh yeah, yeah. I can't but, say that's a crazy outside example because I did plot that into um, <laughs> a story. But it's not known that that's what's going on. But whatever. Well, the thing is, is because somebody magical opened that door for them and has given the world sentinels and guides back after they lost them. Um, Kind has given humanity a gift. So it's going to make some people very, very grateful. 
signals and guides are considered a gift, and that gift has been given back to them because of somebody magical. And if that's played right politically, it would be very difficult for governments to just wholesale attack magical people for merely being magical. It isn't like it used to be. You can't actually stone people to death and get away with it in most civilized countries. And we talked about um, when we were talking about some of my issues with intuitive is that what you really need to do in that kind of situation is you need somebody powerful to have a personal investment. Um, so, like, what you need is, like, somebody, like, some really, like, the president's daughter comes online as a guide or something. I mean, you need somebody who is who can be a real, you know, um, a pivotal per- – can be a real – somebody that the opinion could pivot on being in the corner of we need to integrate this into our society. Or maybe more than one, several senators, or maybe you actually have a senator come online as a sentinel or something. Not any real mm-hmm. senators, but, you know, fictional ones who are decent. And, and then you have, like, a couple of wealthy, some wealthy business person's kid comes online, um, and all of a sudden you've got a lot of power behind going in and swaying public opinion. Yeah, that's a royal. That would work. I think that um, if you wrote an an, an MCU uh, with X-Men where Tony Stark is a mutant, the kind of power he could put in the mutant rights into protecting mutants from being... um, caged and corralled for no reason beyond the fact that they're mutants would be immense because he's beyond wealthy, he's beyond popular. Um, What was that? What is what? I heard a little dingling, ringling, ringing sound in the background. That was my alarm. Oh, okay, okay. I was like, am I, am I imagining things? It was, it was my alarm telling me the dealer was available because, you know, I pay for that guy and I, I'm going to use him. <laughs> I totally get it. <laughs> she means her dealer in a game. Yes, not not like my not not like that kind of. That sounds bad. Okay, they call him the dealer. He has no name. The poor man. You pay him to go get stuff for you. I'm, I'm making it worse. Um, he's a, he shops for me. He's my personal shopper. Yes, that's what he is. Personal shopper. And right now, I really need bronze ore, and I am not missing a single opportunity to get it. <laughs> <laughs> Not even for the podcast. I do. I do. I don't play township when I'm writing. I will say that. But uh, pretty much otherwise, uh, I log in from my phone at the doctor's office. You know, I was right at the doctor's office the other day. My alarm went off. I'm like, got to go get some more bronze or mine picks from the dealer. Yep, got to happen. <laughs> when I can't buy anything else, I usually buy picks. Yeah, when I don't have anything else. I, I stock up on mining supplies. 
Well, the ore, it's cheaper to get the ore straight than to buy picks because I think you get like 12 bronze ore for like 300 coins. So it mm-hmm. costs more to get the picks. You know, like a 12 picks is not going to get you 12 bronze ore. So, and no, I know, but so if I'm doing ore. a mining challenge, I can't well, buy that's true, ore. But I just want challenge. I just want the ore. I, I I need to do this next upgrade. I need 28 fucking bronze ingots, man. That's ridiculous. <laughs> It's not ridiculous. It takes five eggs to make one cupcake. That is ridiculous. I'm just saying. It it's beyond the pale. I bought some muffins. I need them for my train for my plane. Okay. Um, speaking of writing, um the first write in is tomorrow, right? No, that's just a training session for the moderators. Oh, the oh, first okay. one. Okay. The first one is the next Saturday. So a week from today is the first one. It will run okay. all day. Um, literally, it's eighteen hours. The window I scheduled. Um, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to start at six a.m. Pacific time, which is two p.m. UTC. Uh, it'll run for 18 hours. We've got people in Australia and New Zealand to help cover, you know, make sure we've got good time zone coverage, um, people across the U.S. Um, um, tomorrow we're working out what kind of things we, we want to do. So, um, but we'll have more information throughout the week of what's going to happen with the write-in, which it'll the write-in will be the day after Evil Author Day. So um, come prepare with whatever project you want to work on. Uh, we might, I'm thinking we might do some sprints that are themed, like based on one of the vignettes, but most of them won't be themed. Like you'll just work on whatever you want. Um, but the thing is you just do whatever you want. We're going to have, definitely have an open write. Like you can just come in and write and check in with the open write room, and then there's going to be writing sprints throughout the day where you would write for like 15 minutes and try to get, you know, as much as you can done in 15 minutes. Like don't stop, just sit and write. Or there might be hour-long sprint or we might have a theme sprint, like write the vignette for January 11th or 12th or whatever day that was. Um, But, yeah, so that's what we're going to do on the 16th. So put put it on your calendars. There's an event in the writer's table um, scheduled. And we're doing it on Discord. So if you don't, if you aren't signed up for Discord, you know, save yourself some headache and go ahead and sign up. You do not, it'll prompt you after you sign up to create a channel. You do not need to create your own channel. You'll be joining the the writing channel when I send the link out, which I'm not doing until we get the channel set up. (laughs) But you do need to join Discord. Did you already say that? Okay. Yeah, you need to join Discord. Yeah. So, I mean, you could wait till the day of, but if you have any problems, we won't be able to, you know, it'll be harder to help you if everybody is invested in, you know, writing and running the sprints. So it'd be better to work out the technical glitches ahead of time. So if you don't have a Discord login, um, it'd be great if you would go ahead and do that ahead of time. And the plan is to when do you this create regularly. Your... Yeah. When you create your account, you can skip creating your own server. FYI. And you probably should unless you plan to do anything with it. HP. Hmm. 
Yeah. I had somebody mentioned that there would be if people did a different a bunch of world building with Harry's Sentinel Guide, they would all be vastly different. I think that's very true. People would approach it very differently. Um, Some of us would totally ignore all the problems. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're writing a short story, I don't know how you can do anything but that because you cannot resolve the problems <laughs> in a short story. No, you can't. I think secret environments and big big secrets like the magical world and werewolves in, in Teen Wolf um, make sentinels and guides um, a problem because sentinels and guides are definitely a problem for people who want to keep a big secret. <laughs> uh huh. In that vein, yeah, do I you... the same thing goes for, like, huge military projects like Stargate. Sentinels don't know about something because they don't choose to know. Exactly. Blair even says it in Sentinels of Atlantis. He says that, um, that people don't bother to keep secrets from Jim <laughs> because there's no point. I would think and that when he asks that question, he gets an answer. Well, I mean, Sentinels would be, if Sentinels pay attention to everything they could hear, see, smell, they would be, they have to, it's sort of like being in a, a room, I would imagine, this is my, this is me imagining it. If, if you're in a, like you're in a, if you're in a, um, a crowded room where a lot of people are talking, you learn how to tune out and not pay any attention to all that other chatter and focus on the conversation you're having. And I would think Sentinels would have to learn to do something very similar, that things would pull their attention from time to time. Like if you're in that crowded room and somebody suddenly screams, you're going to notice, of course. So mm-hmm. Sentinels are going to, there's going to be things that are going to pull their attention, but if they paid attention to everything, granted there would be no secrets from Sentinels. On the other hand, Sentinels wouldn't know everything because they're just not paying attention to you. If you don't hit their radar, I would think that your secret would be irrelevant to them. You can't count on having the secret, but it doesn't mean they actually actively know what's going on with you. Or care. Because, right, because they would have to be used to tuning out a huge percentage of the things they experience. Otherwise, they would go crazy. That dude who assumes everybody who's gay wants him? It's like, no, dude, you're not even that hot. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Man, we're not after we you, man. We don't give a shit what you're doing. <laughs> you're just not that interesting. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you are all kinds of we don't care. <laughs> Probably also... In the magical world, it would be hard. In a world where there's magic, like Harry Potter magic, that it would be hard for muggles to keep secrets from them if they wanted to know them. Because magic gives them a distinct advantage. I mean, they've got spells that can read your mind. And you may or may not even notice. Yes, that's true. 
probably wouldn't notice, actually. Isn't that the whole point? Right. Unless it's a full-on attack, and then they probably just obliviate you so you wouldn't remember it. (laughs) And he once asked me, he said, do you ever go somewhere and forget how you got there? And I'm like, yeah. He said, how do you know you didn't encounter a wizard who obliviated you? Obliviation is really ugly. <laughs> well, I don't know. Really that ugly. Sure, do I? <laughs> I mean, I can make assumptions. Although I, I am pretty safe in the knowledge that we don't actually have contact with aliens. At least the United States doesn't. Because our current president would have already blabbed about it. It's very disappointing. Unless I didn't tell him, which is also likely. <laughs> I cling to that. Yeah. Like there's like a whole list of shit that he can't know. Or that briefing was too long and he didn't read it. One of the two. So, if I had Harry be the first Sentinel to come online in a very, very long time, and he is, and that is the power the Dark Lord knows not. Obviously, it would be. I mean, you got to pick your guide. I do tend toward Harry Hermione more than I do Harry Draco. Um, I probably would pick Hermione. Um, unless it was going to be like... Well, the thing is, is, I think magically that Hermione is just as badass as Draco is. So... Um, I think it would depend on, like, really um, who I would pick for the pairing. Now, I tend to um, – because if Harry needs a partner who's very, very adept at navigating the magical world, um, then, he, then he needs Draco, who was raised in pure blood, who knows more about the magical world than Hermione does. So he needs a, he needs a peer who can um, – who can keep others from abusing him politically. And that's why I that's where I would draw the line on where the uh pairing would go. Like what do I need the guide or the guide to be? Um is it just support for Harry or is it more of a situation where he is on he or she is on guard because Harry well, is just suddenly think- a lot more than the boy who lived. I think implicitly, if Harry's the first, if you're going with that 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 plot, it, it, um, I think implicitly Harry's got a political situation to deal with. I mean, he may not be in danger, but I think it, it there's there's a it's a difficult. He he definitely has issues with the Wizarding World that is going to be political in nature if he's the first Sentinel. Um, but mm-hmm. it doesn't. It would not be Draco that could solve that. It could be. I mean, you could, you could do a little bit of, 
Yeah, it could be Neville. And you would have Augusta then being the, depending on how old they are. Um, Neville coming into guide abilities could really, really change his confidence levels. Um, especially if, because I could really see that especially um, guide abilities could really tap your magic more so than being a sentinel. Um Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I don't. I wouldn't write a platonic bond. I'm, I've written stories where plato- sort of platonic bonds exist, um, but I wouldn't ever choose to write one. The level of intimacy that I, I write people having in a bond. Um, to me, I don't think it, what the, it's platonic. It, it it doesn't leave room for. It's not. It's not. The, it's not the sex between the two characters that's the issue. It's the two characters having sex with other people, and I think the level of intimacy and the bond. I would. I would. I would write both characters being ace together before I would write them with other people in a bond. It just doesn't. It doesn't gel with my head canon. Um, no, my. I don't either. know how a sentinel. A sentinel or, or guide, I don't think it's just a sentinel thing. I think it's a sentinel or guide thing who've chosen not to have sex as a part of their thing would function with part of their pairing being in a committed sexual relationship with somebody else. Because that is a, a deeply intimate connection. And I think it, it kind of in, it infringes on the sentinel guide bond in a way. So I just wouldn't, I wouldn't personally write that one. Um, no, it fucks with my head canon too much. Because um, just the idea of a sentinel going out and having sex with somebody else while his guide is empathically bonded. Um, well, in the fact of the matter is, in the sentinel canon, guides really didn't exist. Um, Blair was called a guide exactly once by a bad guy. And he had no empathy. He had no kind of like manifest of bond connection with Jim. He was just a researcher who lived with Jim, who kept him in control of his senses through scientific approach and sometimes touch and talk, but they had no actual physical, you know, empathic bond, not like you create or not like is often created in Sentinel AUs, um, Sentinel on AUs like I do. And I can't imagine a Sentinel going out and fucking somebody else while his guide is empathically connected to him, getting all those impressions it just seems honestly it seems kind of abusive if there is yeah. no stopgap between them and he's projecting all of this sexual emotion onto his guide uh, and vice versa the guide would do it too and that's just ugh. yeah it it has to do with I mean, Kira and I have very similar headcanon around sentinels and guides um, so it, the platonic bonds kind of mess with the headcanon. Um, now, not everybody has. I mean, I, there's, there's a story I wrote, um, story I read that I had to kind of push my own headcanon aside to enjoy it because it had things like siblings being sentinels and guides, bonded pairs. Um, and it was very, it was, it was a very good story. It just, it, it was so, it was that part was a little difficult for me because I feel like that. To me, that like that level of deep, profound intimacy with the siblings is a little strange. But it's one of those things where I was able to suspend my disbelief to enjoy the story, but I could never personally write it. 
because my I can't I can't get I can't adopt somebody else's headcanon to make to make a story work for me. It just doesn't gel. So. Right. And because I always write an empathic bond between Sentinel and Guy, yeah, the idea of them having outside partners. Right. Well, the allure for me, the, the allure for me in writing Sentinel AUs is writing the connection between Sentinels and Guides. So if I were to take that out, well, that's, that's not interesting to me anymore. Yeah, I like the bond. Yeah. Yeah. The connection. The codependency. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be honest. I enjoy the codependency. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, in, in its way, it's a... I find the way that, that Fanon has developed around Sentinel and Guide AUs, it's, it's a little bit like mirroring the soulmate tropes, especially the closer yeah. you get to, you know, one guide in all the world who is right for you. That's very soulmate-ish, and I like soulmate tropes. So it's not particularly surprising that of the variations out there available um, of the Sentinel and Guide, you know, tropes, that the ones I'm most drawn to are the ones that mirror soulmate tropes the most. And those are the ones that, to me, um, especially when you start adding in empathic bonds and stuff, it's like, holy crap, I don't want that to be platonic. Because basically then you're bringing, having two other people. Um, also, I've read stories where one side of the pair um, wants the bond, wants a, wants a sexual bond, and the other side doesn't, and yet they decide to go ahead and go forth with the relationship as is, with it not being sexual. I get, I honestly get where the author's coming from with their, with the, with those ideas, but they just sit poorly with me because it feels like, like usually it's the guide who's making the sacrifice, not the sentinel. It feels like the guide is sacrificing um, because they're that desperate to have a sentinel. A bond. They're so desperate to have a bond that they're willing to live without sex in their life, and mm, it's it's just troubling for me um, that imbalance. Because, and I guess it's partially. It, it may not even be the story as it's written, is it, as it is the legacy of the Sentinel fandom that treated Blair so badly because in the whole guide thing that it kind of when the guide is treated or their 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 wishes are don't matter as much as the sentinels and stories that I really kind of have a like a knee jerk reaction I kind of twitch um, so it it may have no reflection on the story as it's written at all it's just it, it's so not my preference to see that because it feels like to me even if it's not it feels like it's harkens back to that kind of um, really ugly the Where ugly Blair was required to be to be completely yeah, chased and Jim got to fuck around all he wanted because Blair right, exactly. had to be pure that, for his sentinel. Oh. That was a very <laughs> that was a very popular trope because I mean there were stories I would read where like Jim Jim would get upset if Blair even brushed up against anybody during the day. He could not smell like anybody but Jim. And but their blonde bond was quote unquote platonic and Jim's out fucking around but Blair can't be with anybody else. And so when I read stories that I mean and I think I, I tend to think that the, these writers have never read that kind of stuff. And in a way but in a way they're doing like a an updated version of that trope and it drives me bonkers. They just don't realize that it, it in any way they're mirroring that that trope in the Sentinel fandom that was really ugly. And I, I don't think that they have an ugly intent when they do that. They're trying to show a realistic evolution of a relationship as it pertains to people who um, 
you know, are, are just meeting or whatever. Um, but I think if anybody's ever been in the Sentinel Phantom, they might have a knee-jerk reaction to that particular kind of plot thread where the guide is denied a sexual relationship by a Sentinel who claims they're not gay or whatever. Um, it, it causes that little, it, it, it brings up that bad memory about those kind of stories that we disliked so intensely and why we bailed on the Sentinel fandom to begin with. So um, there are a lot of people because they were mean to me, but okay. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I bailed on reading the stories because there's like two or three authors that I read in the Sentinel fandom who write actual pure Sentinel stories. And that's it anymore because I just don't trust what I'm going to, what I'm going to get when I open a story. It, the fandom is just, it, it, it completely soured it for me. Um, if, Someone asked me why I don't write ace characters, and I don't write them because I don't understand. And I'm not trying to cast aspersions, and I really don't want to get a whole bunch of emails explaining it to me. I have read what it means to be asexual. Um, I've read a lot about it, actually. Last time I brought it up, I got a whole bunch of articles in response. I I read some articles. I read some blogs. Um, when I'm saying it, I don't understand it. I mean, as a, from a character point of view, I can't put myself in that headspace. And you can't write something if you can't put yourself in the headspace. Well, you could, but it would be shitty. And I would never want to write a shitty. Put a lot of effort into writing Draco is demisexual and, and darkly loyal. And one of the best pieces of feedback I got was, was someone who is demisexual telling me that I was spot on. And I was like, Yes. <laughs> well, that was a lot of work for me because I'm not even bi. <laughs> so I, I, but I have, but I understand sexual desire, and I understand how sexual desire is amplified by emotional connections and love. I get that, but I don't get not having any desire for sex. I, I know what it means. I do know that asexuals do have sex, and and that's a scale. You know, some have sex, some don't, and there's gray, and I I get it. I just don't have the capacity as a writer to to write that well. I would fuck it up, and then I would feel bad. (laughs) Well, I I think I could, only because, I mean, I I took some medication for about, I thought for the chunk of, there's a chunk of time where I thought that, I, I thought I was asexual. I had no interest in sex. I didn't want people to touch me. But it was in, in this case, it was it was a it was a medical it was a medical issue with medication that I was taking that was causing the problem. And for me, it was a problem because that was not my natural state. Now it is some people's natural state. I know quite a few people in real life who have tried to kind of explain. And, and what they explained to me is very similar to what I went through for those few years that I was taking medication that made me completely disinterested. And it wasn't just in 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 sex. Is I intellectually, I didn't I didn't find it interesting. It was like, eh. Um, and so I think I could kind of. Put, but the the thing is, here's the thing, is that, and the reason this is this is closer to the reason why I wouldn't wouldn't write it is that I have seen authors who have tried to write asexual characters, tried to represent have have more diversity in the types in the in the types of sexual expression in their stories, get beat the fuck up for not quote-unquote writing asexual characters right or writing transsexual characters right or whatever it is they're trying to do, they're, they're getting really beat up for it and told they're not doing it right. And, and the thing is, and then conversely, 
what I know to be true from, from my friends who are part of that community say there is such a spectrum. There is no right or wrong really. So it's somebody being offended that their particular flavor is not represented well in the story. Um, and I read a story once where people were alternately saying, this is horrible. How dare you? And somebody going, Oh, you got me exactly with this. I really identified. And I just, I wouldn't want to put, put myself out for that kind of abuse. Honestly, I just don't want it. I don't want that kind of, I don't want to, I already struggle enough with people who get obnoxious with me uh, without, people getting really offended. And the thing is, I would understand that they felt like I'd got them wrong, but me, them, them having that perception shouldn't be an excuse for them to beat me up verbally. Um, so I made, I, that's just something I just, I don't want to get into it. I just, I just don't want to like, if someone I don't, told I wouldn't me wanna... I got them wrong, I would tell them well, I wasn't writing you. And you don't represent don't wanna... everybody who is this, but then that gets into a circular argument, right? Yeah, it is. And I just don't want to, I just want, honestly, it's just a case of where I'm just not emotionally prepared to deal with it with, you know, but, and maybe that's not, maybe that's not quote unquote fair, but I'm going to write what makes me happy. And if I'm angsting and stressing about, am I getting this right? Are people going to treat me shitty over it? That's, that's, that's my writing time. That's getting fucked up. So I know that, 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 and I had somebody tell me, because I've mentioned this before, that that's the chief reason why I haven't written anything like that. Um, now, I could put in a secondary character, but the, here's the thing is when you put in a secondary character who's, who's you know, some, who's ace or, or intersex or just one of the less represented um, groups, is then you get the feedback, and I've seen this too, of, well, that's a cop-out. You couldn't have made them a main character. And you make them a main character, it's like, oh, well, you got it wrong. It, it's a never-ending cycle of you didn't do you didn't do it right, you didn't do it enough, da 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 da. And one of the things, one of the decisions I made a long time ago was I was going to write 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 and work on things that made me happy. And when I'm stressing about that kind of thing, it's not making me happy. So. Um, until my give my give a fuck's pretty broken, but apparently it needs to be a little bit more broken. Uh, for me to to go down that particular path, so that's why I don't. I had somebody mention to me that I never mentioned the color of Ronan's skin in what might have been that um, that I don't identify him as a character of color. So I wrote back and I asked her to point out where I mentioned the color of anyone's skin. And she only found one instance where um, John reflected on how pale Rodney was, and it was after he was kidnapped because he had bruises. That's it. Because I don't, skin yeah. color isn't important to me. It's not, I rarely describe my characters in depth because um, I, well, I do have a casting page for people who are interested in that kind of thing. But really, I want you to make your own pictures. I, I want you to explore my story in your own head. As a, as a reader, um, books play out like movies in my head, and I don't want anybody's casting getting in my way. <laughs> Yeah. 
Yeah, I just I, I find that to be. But people are always going to people are going to always read things, and this is human nature. You read things through the lens of your experience, um, and the lens of many people's experience is that their group of people is underrepresented, and. Um, there, you know, if you feel like you feel like you know, um, person, people of color are underrepresented in media, and therefore, by extension, in fan fiction about that media, um, I can see that, that and, it, and that is an issue, and I can see that could be particularly a, a stumbling block. Um, but if I'm going to describe somebody's skin tone, I'm going to describe everybody's skin tone. So I, I wouldn't, I don't like the assumption that a character is. Caucasian, unless otherwise stated, I find that to be an ugly um, foundational understanding. And and so, if it's going to be, if I'm going to do it with anybody, I'm going to do it with everybody. That's just the way it is because it it's that base assumption is an ugly base assumption. I also had someone get really pissy with me. Um, I deleted their email and put their. Um their their um, email address in my filter for trash because they were pissed off that I made Janice's wife black in well, interim. Ray Sarah right in the garbage. Um, and they said that it was unrealistic that there would have been black agents. I'm pretty sure there were actually black agents in the show, but okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I don't actually remember all the people who were on that ship, but I'm sure that they weren't all white. That's ridiculous. Now I have to go look. But I didn't look at the time. I cast Lawrence Fishburne's wife to play Sarah because she's hot. But she's the beautiful. thing is, even if the thing is, even if and even I if it's her true, serenity. even if it's true. That all of the ancients were, were were white. If that's true, why wouldn't you change that if you had the opportunity to? I right. mean, you don't have to accept that. Even if the show cast it that way, they shouldn't have. So why do you have to accept it and go with it? You don't. We don't. Just like we don't have to go with the fact that everybody in these shows is heterosexual, and clearly we don't. So if you're willing to change people's sexual orientation because realistically 10 to 15 to 20% of those people were gay or at least bisexual and they probably were banging each other left, right, and center, if you're willing to make that leap, why are you not willing to, to, to change, um, to, to bring more diversity to the fucking cast? I just, there needs to be a Her special name is trash Gina Torres. Um, Gina Torres, by the way. She's and She's beautiful. beautiful. She was she was on um, uh, uh, Firefly, and then of course she was in the movie Serenity. And she was um, she actually played his character's wife on Hannibal, um, and um, she was in a show called Cleopatra Twenty Twenty Five or something like that. I think she's beautiful. And when I was thinking about who I would cast to play the AI. Um, for um, Atlantis, and that she was going to be basically the um, the essence of an ancient. Um, so I didn't want to reuse Allie because Allie didn't wasn't a fit. Um, Allie's a computer program, so she wasn't a fit for what I wanted to do in Iterum. Um, 
I thought, well, I just need to, you know, have this badass woman. And obviously, Zoe popped into my brain because she's a badass in Firefly. And, you know, it was either going to be her or Jada Pickett Smith. It was never going to be a white woman. Because <laughs> I was like, in, you know, she was really hot in the Matrix and all that leather. <laughs> Did I cast her on hotness? Yes, I did. Do I regret it? No. Fuck all that. Did I still say I'm straight? But not narrow. <laughs> well, you can, the, the, recognizing hotness has, not, I don't think it has much to do with anybody's <laughs> sexual orientation. Um, so, you know, honestly, the only woman I've ever found sexually attractive was Katie Lang, and I didn't know that Katie Lang was a girl until someone told me. (laughs) So, okay. And even after I found out she was a girl, I was still hot for it. I, I don't even, I can't explain it. (laughs) Well, she is hot. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it is. Just, um, I just, Katie Lang transcends gender. I don't even know what that is. I just um, I'm 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 all about it. Even as she's gotten older, I'm still all about it. I don't even. Rachel Maddow is hot, but Rachel Rachel Maddow is hot because of her brain. Her oh my brain, god! Yeah. I'm so in love with her brain. She's like my TV girlfriend. I mean, Rachel Maddow makes me understand how sapiosexual could be a, a, a thing because that's like, yeah, I just that's hot. Her brain. I mean, she's attractive lady. Yeah. She's not by any means, I would consider in any scheme of things, unattractive physically. But there is something no. about her intelligence that just like, wham, wham. You're like, damn, doctor. Because <laughs> she is a doctor, by the way. Yes, she is. She is. Yes, Dr. Maddow. Her, 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 her intellect is just like, it, it's the kind of intelligence that I find particularly attractive. Boom. I think competence and and intelligence are really sexy. I think giving Ron a creature that could turn in that could make gremlins is the single worst idea ever, Denise, because Ron can't be trusted. <laughs> you wanna you want to overrun Hogwarts with gremlins. I see you. <laughs> he would give that little guy a bath the moment he could if he was told he couldn't. Was that mugwai abuse? Abby, do you want to destroy the world? Uh, that just seems like a bad idea. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. If we had zombies, we we would have to put Rachel under um, 24-hour security just to keep her brain safe because she'd be so attractive to zombies. Her brain. Well, I don't think she has to worry about Ron feeding the Mogwai. He's too busy feeding himself. He never got food for other people. 
and there's not going to be much of an issue with the after midnight thing or anything like that. So, because he'd be asleep. When does midnight end and the next day begin? Because it's always after midnight until it's oh, midnight, and then it's after midnight again. I, it's I a dumb rule. The, I imagine uh, it is a dumb rule, but I imagine that the sun is is the sun coming up is because they have their issue midnight. Sun, right? so I would on. imagine. Yeah. Midnight to dawn is the is is the problem period. Gremlins are the power that Voldy knows not. Well, that's a very cracky idea. You know, the, have you read the um, fic where Harry makes an army of puffskins? I have not. And teaches them to attack Death Eaters, and the Ministry has to recategorize puffskins as X X X X X. X, like they're more dangerous than a dragon. X, 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 X. The 4X category. It's very dangerous. Yeah. In large numbers. It's, they're sort of like tribbles. I mean, my head, yeah. they're tribbles, right? It, I mean, isn't, isn't that what everybody else thinks? That's what it's called. It's called Harry's Little Army of Psychos, and you can find it on fanfiction.net. Um, and it's told from Ron's point of view, but don't let that but don't let that dissuade you. It is hilarious. I'm not sure I'm up for I'm not sure I'm up for any Harry Potter, but I might consider something cracky and funny, but it, but it will it's definitely short. go on the read list. I'll definitely go on the read list. I mean it's I just, short. Mm-hmm. And he even teaches them how to do the evil laugh. Them, wah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and they do it before they attack Death Eaters. <laughs> Honestly, I think the Puffkin in Harry Potter is the one pet that I would have wanted. Because who doesn't want a They're trouble? They're so cute. Right, exactly. They're so cute. I mean, didn't we all want Tribbles after we watched saw the Star Trek episode, The Trouble with Tribbles? I actually have a Tribble. Do you? Where it is. Mm-hmm. It even makes the noise when you rub him. It came with a DVD collection I had. Or was it VHS? Either way, I, I have a Tribble. Mwahahahaha. So I think instead of labeling the Puffskins really dangerous, they should have labeled Harry really dangerous because he took the most benign thing in the magical world and turned it into a weapon. That says something. But magicals aren't rational people. So I think that we agree that if you wrote a Harry Potter AU, that there would have to be, he would have to be the first Sentinel to exist in like a hundred years. <laughs> yeah, or ever. Definitely. <laughs> I don't know about ever because ever. The thing is, if he's ever and there's no knowledge of Sentinels, that's a sure. That's such yeah. a ticket to being executed. Right. 
are stuck in Azkaban having your soul sucked out. I mean, that's the way the wizarding world works. They have to want Sentinels to come back. Um, but the other part of it is, is if Sentinels and guys are even known 100 years ago, then there has to be treaties between Sentinel organizations and the magical world to keep the magical world a secret. Yeah. If there were muggle sentinels and guides, if there were no muggle sentinels and guides, if sentinels and guides were always magical, even if they were known to muggles, um, but muggles just didn't know they were magical as well. Oh. What? I just plot bunnied myself. I hate that. Oh, I got room for not really. progress. That's that's not true. You you've got infinite room for works in progress. <laughs> well, what if sentinels and guides have always been magical, and there are sentinels and guides in the magical world, and um, one of the ways that magical people are preparing the rest of the world for the introduction of magic is the emergence of sentinels and guides. And it's a long-term plan. That is a long fic. Yeah, it is. It would be it would be ginormous. But it also starts like when do you when do you come into it? When do you um, start your story? You don't have to start your story when they first started putting sentinels and guides into the into the muggle world. Um, Because it would probably start off slow, like, you know, um, tribal guardians, um, the introduction of spirit animals over a series of of decades, um, so that by the time, you know, a sentinel, modern day, a sentinel can walk down the street with a tiger and no one's going to question him or even look at it crosswise. Oh, yeah, that's a sentinel. Wait, are you a sentinel? (laughs) Or did you steal that tiger from the zoo? It's not an actual tiger you've got there, is it? <laughs> and if it was of the city, like New York, they'd be like, oh, fuck it, whatever. It didn't bite anybody. <laughs> it's probably. Yeah, in New York, they'd probably do that with an actual tiger. They'd be like, meh. <laughs> it's not killing anybody yet, so. Live and let it's live, man. Live and let live. But, yeah, I mean, so it just kind of like desensitize the whole planet to the idea of magical people. And then when Sentinels start to develop other gifts that are inherently magical, no one blinks an eye. Because Sentinels are just evolving to protect them. Hmm. So there was somebody who's really good with... uh sort of propaganda plan this out. I'm going to vote for Salazar Slytherin, but, um, well, he's not a Slytherin for nothing. I think it'd be really interesting that, you know, that just a gradual reveal of, of magic to the point where, you know, eventually they're just going to be like, you know what, we just set aside some school spaces for um, our kids to learn because they're a little bit different than the rest of us, but it's okay. We're going to take care of that. You guys just go about your business and then just slowly reveal magical schools. <laughs> we kind of need our own government. You, you just um, there, there are things about us that are kind of unique and different, and we have to do some policing of our own kind. Um, not a big deal. Don't worry about it. We'll we'll handle everything. We don't need your money. 
<laughs> I think I, I think I'd have to call this story the Grand Slam. <laughs> it has to be a series. <laughs> yeah, it would. I think because I think that any kind of Harry Potter Sentinel thing would be epic. If you do your get your world building really rock solid, um, it, it would be best approached as a series. Otherwise, yeah. you know, you're married to you're married to this monster fic for you know years, and, and just years. nobody wants that. Years. I'm already I already have monster fics that I'm married to, so that I, that yeah, I, I'm I would not like to divorce. In, I'm not interested in writing a um a Harry Crow epic. No. Already, I have two long, well, three arguably long Harry Potter stories to just to finish. One of them is already has to be a series. Um, so yeah, I just. <laughs> uh, the last thing I want really to do is wrote, another one. I'm really glad I wrote Soulmate down into um, episodes. I wish I'd done the same thing with Small Magic. There you go. Anyway, we're down to a minute and twenty seconds. Um, Putting Harry Potter in the Sentinel or putting Sentinel in the Harry Potter is is a is a daunting undertaking if you um, if you're prepared to, to address the issues with plot holes and and world building and the like. And if you're not prepared to do that, confine yourself to writing short stories so you don't get frustrated with yourself and later. <laughs> and so that you're not actively just frustrated every day with with jk rowling because you'd be like well then why could you think these things through (laughs) joe and well say good night good night everyone we'll catch you guys later Thank you.